0: Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, equipping men for growth in your faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Check out menofiron.org to learn more about how you can get involved in or support the vision of changing a culture one man at a time. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Chad Zook.
1: When a man gets it, everyone wins. This is the belief and the mission of Jim Ramos. He is a part of a men's movement called Men in the Arena. He is today's guest. This is episode 85 of the Men of Iron podcast. My name is Chad Zook and I'm the host. We're building strong men for dangerous times. If you ever wondered how to go from being a male to being a man, stay tuned to this podcast because Jim and I dial up a great conversation to help you. Men of Iron exists to change a culture, one man at a time. We believe strongly in the power of mentorships and accountability. If you'd like to know more about the movement that we call Men of Iron, go to menofiron.org. You will be able to see some things to help you individually, also to help you as maybe as a group study, maybe just for you to just gather resources. We have all of that and so much more at menofiron.org. And also we have an opportunity in there to connect with someone at the Men of Iron team to maybe bring some of these principles a little bit closer to home and for you to apply and create a strategy for your life and also for the lives of the men around you. Again, that's (laughs) menofiron.org. Well, today on the podcast, we have Jim Ramos. Jim Ramos is somebody I've been connected with for about two years now. I've actually previously recorded with Jim on his podcast, and he was on a podcast that I used to host.
0: So, Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, Chad. It's great to be here, man. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Absolutely. I'm really uh, really looking forward to digging into this book that the men have probably never heard of. And the book was really, really helpful. The title is Strong Men, Dangerous Times. And we're really going to drill down into that. I think it's really practical. And you tell a lot of stories, a lot of humor, a lot of things that guys like. Um, and uh, so I just want to say well done on the book. I really appreciated it. And I love the small group exercises at the end of each chapter.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That was an add-on at the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really thought that was good. And just, uh, you know, just to... Uh, What do you, what do you call it? Strengthen your grip. I think is how you call those. So I I thought those were, I thought those were just fantastic. Well, you and I, again, like I'd mentioned, I've been on your podcast, you, you and I've been running in the same circles now for quite a while. Yeah. And I was on episode 398 and it is entitled, Are You Bulletproof? So if you're listening, you want to hear a little bit more of my story, you can jump in there and, uh, or jump over there when you're through with this one and we'll dig into it. So, you know, you and I, we have a heart for men and we we have kind of this angst and not anger, but like an angst to see men become their best version. And you communicate that really well in this book as you're talking about strong men in dangerous times. And I think it's very obvious for us to, to kind of see that we're in dangerous times and that we need to be strong men. So as far as as you survey the landscape of manhood today,
0: what is your biggest concern? Oh, my biggest concern is men are confused Hmm. about who they are because they live in a world that really has vilified biblical masculinity. And and to some degree, I understand that because our society does not differentiate between an adult male and a man, and they're completely different species. Mm -hmm. And so we look at males who do toxic things and wound people and do not step up and are anonymous. and we identify those with men. And this is a this is where our society gets confused because men are um, appalled and ashamed of males who are not engaged mm-hmm. because it's hard to be a man. It is work to be a man. It is a daily battle of making decisions against yourself where the male doesn't do that. He makes decisions for himself. and so he becomes soft and weak and lazy. And so that that is where the confusion lies, I think, in our society, because I don't care who you are, whether you're far right or far left. When a man steps up, everyone wins and society applauds that guy. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, too. And, you know, confusion, that's really an interesting thing that you bring up, because I think in our day and age, there is a ton of confusion, but I also think that men are just generally frustrated. I think they're frustrated because oh, yeah. inside of them, they, they're they compelled. They know they want to do more, but yet because they're confused, so they hold in all of this masculine energy and all this masculine power and agency that God's given them, and and yet they don't know how to relinquish that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. You would think that men, when they're frustrated— or confused or angry that they would charge forward and fight and i have found that men just don't do that they say mm-hmm. you know what this is a battle that i can't win i'm going to pick another battle mm-hmm. and so men just go another direction and they keep changing their world they just ignore what's going on around them and and mm-hmm. and i'm i see that in my own life you know there's certain things i just like man i'm just done watching the news or i'm done listening about this vax or no vax thing. And you just get frustrated just go, you know what, I'm going to pick another battle. And I think that's what men have done is they've said, I'm just going to pick another battle. This is super frustrating. I can't sift out the truth and I'm going to move on. Mm.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's powerful. Let me ask you this. When you hear the terms beta male and alpha male, what comes to mind?
0: That's interesting. I'd never been asked that question before. Well, to me, when I think of an alpha male, I think of the ultimate alpha male, Jesus, who in mm-hmm. Revelation said, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And I would say he really is the only alpha male. So when I hear that phrase alpha, I think of the ultimate alpha. I think of the ultimate man. I think of the model of masculinity, Jesus Christ, and everybody else is a beta. Now, from a from a human standpoint, an alpha male would be your typical special ops, professional athlete. Uh, You know, this real strong, tough, you know, rip your face off type of man. But but it's an alpha male. And again, I want to distinguish between male and men, because a lot of these alpha males are exactly that they're alpha males. I've said this hundreds of times, but, you know, I'm a huge fan of the military. But when our Navy SEALs are divorcing at a rate of 95 percent during wartime and 90 percent during peacetime, that definitely is an alpha male it's not a man so these guys that are the ultimate warriors in battle are the ultimate whips and wimps in marriage and we we like to say oh those poor guys you don't understand i go no listen they're they're drunk and womanizing and they can't keep a marriage afloat because with marriage they're wimps so they may be an alpha male but they're not an alpha man does that make sense or on this side you got this this guy with a pencil protector, you know, and he's got the glasses with a bandaid around the, you know, to keep them together and he's loving his wife and loving his children and going to work. That's an alpha man to me. So men come in all shapes and sizes and so we have to be really careful to not worship these guys because they're great warriors, because they're great athletes, because they can lift a lot of weights. What really matters is uh, a man is is what a man does that's what matters most so that when i think of alpha male those are the things i think of chad okay
1: yeah i i think i would probably push back a little bit as far as like the navy seal analogy i mean granted what you're saying is right it, should you be able to function well as a as a married man and also a family man while being a navy seal absolutely but i've never walked in their shoes i don't know what that op tempo is like i did serve in the military but not as far as special ops so just, a, I don't know, I would probably push back a little bit there to, to not necessarily put that much of a fine point on it. However, I do get the differentiation between alpha male and alpha man. And yeah. it wasn't at C.S. Lewis who said, uh, in, in comparison to Jesus, all of us are feminine. He was talking about the masculinity of Jesus. I believe it was C.S. Lewis. And he says, you know looking at masculinity in the truest and purest form, mm-hmm. in alpha form is as, as what we're talking about now. Uh, that being of Jesus and he says in comparison to that we're all feminine you know so oh. I think that it's I, I'm pretty sure it was Cs Lewis that's a really interesting way that you looked at it saying hey he is the ultimate alpha man and we're in essence all beta men you know those pursuing manhood generally uh, or specifically so one thing you talk about in in this book is is really the first step. And that you start talking about integrity. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that you use a a mountain metaphor. And so there are five steps that you use in the book of like pursuing this mountain of manhood. And, And I love the mountain metaphor. There's a challenge that when we get back to the backside of the mountain, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But you start out with integrity. Why did you start out with protecting integrity?
0: Yeah, well, when we so this book really defines manhood. It defines masculinity. So there aren't, I haven't read a lot of stuff that actually says this is how you define manhood. This is the target. And so when it's a Christian book, but the problem with Christian books is we tend to take our Christian worldview and compartmentalize it down to this, this thing that fits really well for the church, but doesn't fit well in in the rest of the world. And so we wanted to, to come up with a definition of manhood that transcended religion it transcended uh, race or ethnicity. It transcended time. It transcended demographics, money, no money. You know all these things. And so, in doing that, we had to think: okay, what matters to a man? What really matters? And really, I think most men would say uh, respect. You know, it's funny. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul goes into this household code discourse where five times he tells men to love their wives. He never tells wives to love their husband. Not one time. He tells the wife to respect her husband. And so the reason why he tells the wife that is because, well, for, there's a couple of reasons, but the main one is, in my opinion, men would rather be respected by their wives and loved. If they have respect, they're going to have that love. And so, and so for, for me, when I look at integrity, it really is the foundational component to manhood. I have found as I interact with people, women aren't as hung up on integrity as men are. Men are. If you if you if you do something to hinder your reputation with a man, I'm telling you, it is over. Mm-hmm. It is the foundational component to manhood. It's it's the it's the trailhead of manhood. It's the foundation on which he stands. It's also Chad the functional component. Now I know that you're a, a big uh, a lifting guy and a HIT workout guy, and and so I had a situation through a HIT workout where I actually blew up my back and had back surgery and a, a teeny little disc between my L5 S1 vertebrae uh, moved them, you know, a few millimeters back and it, it hindered my ability to stand up for long periods of time. I actually wrote one of my books uh, prone typing cause I couldn't stand up and it is, it was, it, it, and if you, and I translate that to let's say Adam and Eve, hmm. Adam is the prototypical male here. Here's this guy walking around. Can you imagine what this guy must've looked like? And he's walking around, he's he's walking, he's proud, he's unashamed, uh, he's a human. We are the only species that walks upright with our sex organs exposed. God did that on purpose. But when sin enters the world, he bends over backwards, covering his junk, finding, finding the fig leaf, hunched over because, because his int- lack of integrity, the sin that he allowed in his life, uh, disallowed him from standing upright and on in full display. And so when we have secrets... When we lack integrity, we lose the ability to walk upright in full display before the world because we're hiding uh, stuff. We're lacking integrity. And so it really, no matter what you believe, it all starts with integrity
1: and in the book you you also talk about the leaning tower of pisa which is also yes. a great visual of the same thing it depends on how you begin right it's the it, you talk about it in the book that it's the foundation the reason yes. why the tower is leaning and now needs external support and i've been able to see it uh, and i can verify there is external support <laughs> there unless it's fallen since uh, since you know uh, i've been there but i don't think it has but at any rate the reason why it's leaning is because its foundation is poor yeah. it's built upon a, a you know not a solid foundation so i think uh, i think that's a interesting thing and even the word integrity is rooted in the word integral which means whole so yes. i think that there's a, a a part of us that if we're if we're you know we're delving into sin we're not becoming the man we're supposed to and we're leaning over as you talk about just a, a great visual way of understanding what it is to have integrity, be able to stand, to be able to stand unashamed. And in the scripture you talked about, they were naked and they were ashamed. that's the reason why they had to cover themselves yes. because it's the sin in iniquity that it entered their life and now is permeated all the way down to every human being, um, not to be too deep into biblical or, or theological talk, but it's true. So I think it's, it's a good thing for us to understand that, that, the, that the pathway for us to be good men is is at base level to be men of integrity to be whole. What types of things do you think need to go into a man for him to be whole? because even even integrity, unless you know what it means to be whole or what you're going to put into it, that's that's kind of an incomplete message, don't you think?
0: Absolutely because I think guys get confused. Uh, with terminology, for example, character, they use, they interchange character with integrity. And if you look at the dictionary under the definition of character, it is the complex, the complex of traits that make up a man. So character Mm -hmm. would be honesty, loyalty, fidelity, uh, work ethic, you know, all of these things, fitness, health, uh, all of these things go into this thing, this, this box, let's call it. So all of these characteristics go into this box, and that box is integrity. Integrity in the dictionary is whole or complete. It's where we get the word integer, a whole number versus a fraction. So a man who lacks integrity is fractured or frac- he's a fraction of the man he's supposed to be. And it's really funny because I when I, when I share this with men, they kind of look at me funny. I said, now, listen, if you're a Christian man, so you can be a man. And not be a christian man and you can be a christian man and be and not be a man i've seen it all the time Mm -hmm. but what i'm trying to tell guys is if you lack integrity you are incomplete because men need to be whole and the one thing that a christian man has that i believe other men don't necessarily have is we have philippians 1 6 that I'm competent of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion. And the one thing I see about Christian men that distinguishes them is their passion to grow all throughout their life. And so mm. we have to put that characteristic in the box and say this characteristic personal growth, and, and John Maxwell's a huge personal growth guy, right? This is so critical for a man to continue on his journey of biblical manhood. Mm.
1: Well said. And the second step that you talk about, you just mentioned growth, so we'll pivot here, is you talked about fighting apathy. Now, that's that's something that's common. I mean, that's verbiage that we're used to and, and kind of understanding that. This, too, you know, uh, I love what uh, Elizabeth Elliott said. She said masculinity is about initiation. Yes. And how femininity is about response. And I love how she said that, and that's a great book that that's borrowed from called The Meaning of a Man. Um, just I love the way that she talks about that. And that's what I think about when you know, we talk about fighting apathy. This is the very core essence of masculinity, is to be is to be men who are initiating, who are doing the right things without mom, wife, you know, preacher, somebody browbeating us or making us feel guilty to do something. We should be so like in in and of ourselves, we should be so driven to fight apathy and yet. That's not very common. People who, who are on a, on a, you know, on a trajectory of growth, obviously they understand this, but yet apathy is such a big problem in the world today. Why is that?
0: Well, again, I'll, I'll just say, I think apathy is the greatest battle a man will ever fight. Mm-hmm. And so we start at the trailhead of protecting integrity, but the climb, is this climb fighting apathy? Now I'm. I, now didn't you do a lot of stuff recently to lose a bunch of weight in the last three years? No. Was that you? Okay, no. so maybe that wasn't you. But I mean, for me, I'm always battling my weight, and I've lost some weight here. And it's amazing how much easier it is to climb a mountain when you're 10 or 15 pounds lighter. I've been training with a uh, 40 pounds in a backpack up hills for hunting season. And what I realize is the heavier you are, the more weighted you are, the harder it is to climb, you know, and Mm -hmm. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with endurance, the race marked out for us. And so we have to fight against the resistances that are pushing us down. So when I say fight apathy, apathy is indifference. It's impassivity. Mm -hmm. It's the losing the ability to feel. For example, if I pull out my knife, I can go right here with my knife and I can cut this callus off my hand right now, and I'm cutting it, and people go, oh, that's so gross, but I feel nothing, because there's no nerve ending there. There's an inability to feel, Mm -hmm. and when a man loses his ability to feel or care for the things that God has called him to, whether it be his health, whether it be his God, whether it be his church, his marriage, his family, his community, if there's anything in his life that he's a mandated to care for and he refuses, that man is apathetic and he's in danger of really hurting the people that he has been entrusted to care for.
1: Yeah, the the way that you explain that in the book is callousness. And of course, yeah. It gives us that that verbiage and and just that mental picture. Um, in that, that odd moment when you're cutting your hand and you're wondering if we're going to, if you're going to make yourself bleed, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah.
0: uh, Yeah. I don't want to hit that nerve. Ah, exactly. Too deep. (laughs) Uh, So, well, you know, it's really funny. It's really interesting, Chad. And I draw this out in the book is that, and I, I didn't realize this until I wrote the book, which is kind of pathetic, but if I have a calloused heart. Yeah. That, that is a -A C-A-L-L-O-U-S-E-D heart. If I have a callus on my hand, it's a C-A-L-L-U-S. Hmm. And so it is a different type of callus hmm. describing uh, an inability to feel, but over different things. And that's hmm. really important for guys to draw out. It's okay to have a calloused hand. That's that's That means that your hand is protecting you from tools or whatever. But to have a calloused heart is extremely damaging. So let's dig into that. I, I think
1: there's two different extremes. I mean, much of life, unfortunately, we live in the extremes, right? Yeah, Everything yeah. seems to be the extreme, whether it's uh, whether it's being politicized or not politicized. It seems like we're in the extreme of like, I wish we could just be in the middle. I just wish we could be in the middle kind of things, and not in a lukewarm sense, but but I instead agree. of being drawn by all of the stuff. But, but I think that th- there's two different extremes at play here. As far as, you know, you talk about Of not being calloused or having a calloused heart, a non feeling heart, a numb heart. And I think that's that's that really, really resonates with a lot of guys, unfortunately. But I think the two extremes are there's one side that is that is like the easily angered, untempered, uncontrolled emotion, like just a guy's just waiting just in a moment to go off. And yet the pendulum swings all the way on the other side is the stoic, disconnected, numb kind of guy who who also is ineffective. In both of them, they keep themselves away from the things that they should feel and the people that they should care about the most. How is it that we can help a guy to be in the middle in this, so he's not playing into the extreme and falling into the anger trap or the just the numb stoic, you know, calloused trap?
0: Yeah. So uh, so. Maybe the word feeling is not a great analogy with callousness. Caring would be a better word. Mm-hmm. And I would just say this, uh, I think based on personalities, some personalities naturally lean towards uh, emotion and feeling, the, the, the uh, sanguine personality, uh, the melancholy pers- melancholic personality. I'm talking about Florence Littauer's, uh material here. Mm-hmm. And, and some people lean towards like the phlegmatic, the, the choleric, they tend to not feel as much. But when it comes to masculinity, it's not about feeling, it's about doing. Yeah. So a man is as a man does. So I may not, I may not feel emotion attached to my church, but I'm gonna serve mm. because it's dutiful, it's the right thing to do. And I think that our generation, I think the boomers and the millennials, the zers, I think what we've we've done is we've become this feeling-based society where we have to do it because we feel good, where if you look at the silent generation, they just all enlisted for World War II because it was the right thing to Mm -hmm. do. It was dutiful. And I think that we need to move beyond. You know, John Maxwell said something years ago, I never forgot about it. He said, winners do it first and feel good about it later. Winers want to feel good before they do it. And so men do it and feel good about it later. So that's what I would say. Manhood is about what you do more than anything else
1: well that just doesn't feel right to me jim i just don't i just don't (laughs) like the way that you talked about that and just your i apologize very offensive to my core
0: (laughs) i apologize for hurting your feelings but i don't care
1: i'm a a sensitive guy you know masculinity to me and again this rooted in in a hebrew word all the way back and you see this in genesis one and two is masculinity or, or to be a man is is this Hebrew word called zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, the word zakar. And and to me, I I kind of bring that around to where I could get into the weeds about it, but I'll just kind of stay on service level. It's about action, activity, and agency. That's that's really what it means to be a man and to grow as a man and the and to render our masculine strength is about finding the right places for that action that activity and because god's given us agency that initiation that yeah. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliott talked about and i think these are core issues that we have to deal with when it comes down to fighting apathy if not we're not going to know where to leverage our energy where to leverage our our agency or or what activities that we should be caught up in or even what actions that we should take. And I know you talk about this in the book and you kind of help men to be able to do that. One of the things that you also address, and I'd like to touch on this because at Men of Iron, we're huge into mentoring. We believe that mentors play such a significant role in the discipleship process and they're often underutilized. And we believe passionately that men should be mentored. So you talk about sandpaper people in this chapter and you talk at length about, about your wife, how that is, you know, that's a sandpaper person, you know, from Proverbs 27, 17, as you know, about iron sharpening iron and that that whole thing of talking about these sandpaper people. Could you drill down into that? What what part does does a wife play in that? What part do friends play in that or or a mentor? What part should they play?
0: Well, that's really good, man. I actually am a chaplain for a uh, football university here in town. And I do a devotional with them uh, twice a, twice a week. And it's really interesting because we, I pulled out a sharpening steel, uh, my first message. And I pulled out my knife, this, this exact knife. And I talked about how this knife, it's not a knife unless it shaves. If it doesn't shave, it's just a dagger or a letter opener. And I talked about the process of these things sharpening. It's really interesting because Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, if you break that down into the Hebrew, The word, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, so it's one man. NIV says one person, and that's a misinterpretation of scripture. It's actually a masculine word. It does not mean person. It means man. Sharpens another, and the word another uh, is the Hebrew word penne, which means face. In other words, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man's face or countenance. And so we Mm -hmm. need to have people in our lives who sharpen our face, our countenance. And here's the cool thing for me. Now, I'm a hunter. I'm a knife guy. I mean, I'm a big fan of knives. And so what I've learned is the you have, when people think of iron sharpening as iron, you see these guys battling their swords. I'm like, that's so stupid. Hmm. Iron is only sharpened if it hits something, which I'll, I'll call this pen, my steel. If it hits something that is a, a, a sharpening agent. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have a sharpening agent. Sometimes you have a blade. Sometimes I sharpen Chad Zwick. Sometimes Chad sharpens me. Hmm. That's how a healthy relationship happens. Ironically, in Proverbs 27, 17, well, you read about the iron sharpens iron, but in Proverbs 27, uh, 15, it says a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. <laughs> he who can restrain her restrains the wind. Hmm. And I had to laugh that that proverb was put right there because... The number one person in my life that sharpens me, that sandpaper person or that uh, steel or that sharpening agent is my wife. Mm. And I have to allow her to sharpen me because unlike anybody on the planet, she wants me to win more than anybody on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I would link those together. And and here's what I would also say, Chad, if you're the guy always sharpening and nobody's sharpening you, you need to find some new friends. Mm. Or if you're always the guy who's being sharpened and you're never sharpening, you need to get a grip on your life and become a man and grow mm-hmm. up and get healthy. And so it, it, there's a lot to this thing, and, and it's really, really interesting as you dive into it.
1: Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that's it's a helpful way for me to understand this too is how iron sharpens iron. You see, when those two things come in contact with one another, they're both changed. It isn't just one of them being changed, it's it's both of them being changed. So if you're in that kind of, you know, in that kind of relationship or just a friendship or a bond, a brotherhood, uh, then understand that that when you leverage yourself in a masculine relationship with another man, just as a being a friend or whatever, uh, you're going to be changed. And this is the, this is one of the ways that God is, is wanting to shape us and move us. And, you know, the reason why I brought up wives specifically is because I know that there's a message out in the manosphere that's that downgrades women. I know that's not your message, and it's not mine either. I'm, I'm I'm about elevating women, and I'm about elevating my wife and my daughter and other ladies around me, and and support them, and and to show uh, you know just show my respect for them and lift them up as much as I can. So I know that's not us, but there is this message in the manosphere that that downplays women, and yet you mentioned earlier in Ephesians 5, you talked about the, the dynamics and relationships that are mentioned in Ephesians 5 is where it starts. And then it continues in Ephesians 6, talking about kids mm-hmm, and talking mm-hmm. about pa- fathers with their kids. And, but one of the things that, that you, I don't know that you necessarily mentioned this in the book, but it, but it, it just came to mind is one of the greatest ways that I think that our wives particularly offer sandpaper to us is because the word tells us that we're to sacrifice and this idea of love isn't this mushy gushy you know this is how i feel today um instead it's a sacrificial agape love the, the type of love that jesus as the metaphor goes that had that Jesus has for the church that kind of relationship is one that we're supposed to offer for our wives so it's no wonder that they're sandpaper for us right they're gonna yeah. challenge us they're gonna they're gonna challenge our apathy Because there are going to be moments I just don't feel like giving. I just don't feel like doing whatever it is that I'm supposed to do. And and I'm a man, and I'm I'm growing as a man, but I'm not a perfect man.
0: Well, that's absolutely right. You know, you talked about the word zakar, and it's action, activity, and agency. You know, a man, the action component to me is the man does certain things that makes him a man. But the activity of manhood, that activity is limited, I think. And one of the, the top of the list is sacrifice. And sacrifice and love are almost synonymous. You know, mm-hmm. when Paul tells men to love their wives, he tells them that five times because man's default setting is not love, it is okay. respect. And a woman's default setting is not respect, it's love. Mm-hmm. So he asks them to do these things uh that do not come natural to them. Mm-hmm. And so that's the beauty of the gospel is that God in his love says, Listen, guy, I want you to do something that's not natural you need to love that woman. And I agree with you, man. You know, Peter talks about he was the only apostle that was married. He talks about, you know, in the, house, the household codes are found in Ephesians five and six, Colossians three and four, and then first Peter chapter three. And in that chapter, Paul, Peter says, you know, love your wives as a weaker vessel so that your prayer may not be hindered. Mm-hmm. And man, do not take that wrong, guys. Don't take that wrong. It's not saying she's uh, this weak sauce person that you need to, you know, you know, bring along because she's so much weaker. It's it's talking about something totally different, and you got to be really careful here. But but what he's telling you is he's challenging men to love our wives where they are and to learn how to love them and to become experts in loving them. Because listen, the stronger the woman, the stronger the man. The yeah. weaker the woman, the weaker the man. The reason why our society is so weak is we have weak women out there willing to spread their legs for any comer. And that's mm. horrible. And that, and then we have weak men who are willing to do it. And if you look at the West, how the West was really won in the Victorian era in the 1800s it was won by Christian women who said, listen, boy, you better put a ring on it. And they changed America because of it. Strong men equals strong. Strong women equals strong men. And I'm a big fan of strong women. Mm. And I don't think biblical submission means weak and doormat. I think biblical submission. Well, do you want me to give you an illustration of biblical submission? That's absolutely fun? let's roll. When George Wash, the, George, Wash uh, George Bush, sorry, the older George Bush, I don't remember what his initial was, not W, the other one. When he was president, uh, he was driving in his colonnade across Texas to go home. And they stopped, this is in my book, and they stopped at a gas station because he had to go to the bathroom. So he gets out and his Secret Service guys escort him to the bathroom. He comes out, his wife Barbara, who America loved Barbara, right? Mm-hmm. She's outside talking in a lively conversation with a gas station attendant. And George is really taken back that President Bush is really taken back by this. Why is my wife talking to the gas station attendant? And he says uh, they get in the car, their limousine. And he goes, well, honey, why were you talking to the gas station attendant? And she says, man, it's really unbelievable. That is my high school sweetheart. And, <laughs> and President Bush starts laughing and she goes, why are you laughing? And he goes, the president, the, the, the most powerful woman in the world is speaking to a gas station attendant. And she said, hold on, George. If I married him, he would have been the president. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I love that. That's submission. That's sandpaper. That's Proverbs 27, 15 in action. Oh, that's wonderful.
1: Man, that's so good. (laughs) That's so good. So let's talk about the summit, right? Yes, yes, yes. Back to our mountain. Step three, pursuing God passionately. And you drill down on, I know this is not your material. I think this is Rick Warren's. I've used this for several years with guys and for young myriads and people just want to be involved uh, and just serve. So you talk about this acrostic shape and the S stands for spiritual gifts. The H is heart or passions, A is abilities, P is personality, the E is experiences. And what you talk about is in kind of helping the reader helping us now is just the, the listener helping us to understand, okay, pursuing God passionately. So these are five different ways that we can kind of handholds to where we can pursue and we should pursue our spiritual gifts and our heart and ability. We should lean into those and, and just our ability rather, and then personality and then experiences. You can elaborate as much as you want on those. I thought those were really, really helpful. And what you do is you try and help a man to answer who am I and why am I here?
0: Yes and so so to me the shape acrostic thank you Rick Warden I give Rick full credit full credit in the book as well <laughs> the shape acrostic really answers the question why am i here mm-hmm. so i am here uh or or who am i i'm sorry who am i i am uh, my spiritual gifts my heart my abilities my personality my experiences so those things really Help me to determine why God made me, why I matter to this world. And when a guy can understand who he is, it really propels him uh, to to accomplish God's purpose for him. But really, when I talk about pursuing God, I use another acrostic. Now, let me say this, uh, Chad, and my theology is really simple, and I think you would appreciate this. I have a real simple theology. I call it my theology of men. It's simply this. Yes, you can be a man without Christ. We see it all the time. Yes, you can be a male with Christ. We see that all the time. Mm -hmm. But when a man who is passionately pursuing Jesus, that man, the only way I can ever achieve the apex, the climax, the summit of masculinity and truly become my best version of a man Mm -hmm. is through radical commitment to Jesus Christ. That's why that is the summit. So Mm -hmm. yes, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, you are not at the level where you can reach your ultimate uh, a potential as a man. You're at a plateau. And the way you go to the next level, you're at a false summit. And the way you go to the next level is you pursue God passionately, you give your life to Jesus. And so uh, I believe there are seven things a guy does who's p- pursuing God passionately, and it spells the word walking, comes out of Genesis where we see in Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God, he was and was no more because God took him up. Very simply, uh, walking, do you worship God on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. A are you approaching God in prayer on a regular basis? L, are you loving other believers in Christian fellowship? That's a huge problem for men,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is why mentoring and men of iron is so important. Uh, that's, what, what was that? The
1: K. L. L.
0: K. do you know the word of God and do you know it better than anyone in your household? Mm. For the Bible that is falling apart belongs to the man who is not, D.L. Moody said. Mm. Uh, I, are you investing your fiscal and physical resources into God's kingdom? Mm-hmm. Are you a giver or a hoarder? Are you an asset or a liability? And are you nurturing believers and non-believers in faith in Jesus? Are you reaching people out there? And mm-hmm. then G is, have you given your life to the gospel cause as far as in Christian service? And so those are the, the ways I measure. When I talk to guys, and we live in America, and in America, guys always say, I'm a Christian. And so I go, oh, really? Let's talk about that. And so I'll mm-hmm. walk those guys through that. And they may say, man, I really want to do those things, but I don't know who I am. I say, hey, let's talk about shape. Mm -hmm. So I think those things really work hand in hand.
1: Yeah, excellent stuff. I love that. Uh, That really helps really kind of clarify a lot of things for guys, because I think that there is is absolutely a misnomer of of what it means to be a Christian and that it it means more than just having a certain amount of uh, morals or values instead it's it's that point of surrender to jesus and and you talk about that with that acrostic as well so so if if i hear you correctly the part of the who am i is is the shape side of it and then why am i here excuse me who am i it goes down to the walking acrostic and then why am i here is the shape acrostic is that correct
0: yeah i think you could go that route because we we don't discover who we are until we fully devote our lives to jesus because Here's the deal for guys who are listening who may not be following Christ right now. If God made you and God loves you and God has a plan for you, how can you ever achieve that purpose in your life and fully become the best version of who you're supposed to be without radical devotion to the God who made you? Mm -hmm. He knows you better than anyone else. And so you have to give your life to pursuing him passionately to understand who you are and to embrace it and to become that, that uh, best version of yourself through Christ.
1: Yeah, well said. Okay, so step four is leading courageously. So so far we we've, we've talked about integrity, fighting apathy. We talked about the apex of of masculinity or manhood, and that being pursuing God passionately. Now we're coming back down the mountain. This is where I have an issue, right? Okay, yeah, is yeah, yeah. This is where the mountain metaphor breaks down for me.
0: Oh, really? Okay, it go is, for it. A
1: little bit, not in a bad way, but I think that there's there's a challenge here that I think that is presented mentally that we have to address first. Perfect. Because it looks like you go up the mountain and then you can kind of relax on the way back down. That's that's takes- where most people when they look at that, they're like, Oh, sweet, I can coast. I've I've done some some work on mountains and I've done some hiking. I know better than this, but tell the reader why that's important and tell them what it is they're supposed to avoid by leading courageously
0: man what a great interview you set me up perfectly man that was <laughs> that was excellent yeah i'll tell you what i came to the south sister in oregon last summer with my middle son darby and it's the third tallest mountain in oregon and i'll tell you what going up was a grind bro it was brutal it was the worst thing i've ever experienced in my life as far as challenge but once we got to the summit we had a whole nether problem we had to get down the hill and have you heard of this phrase scree s-c-r-e-e do you know what that is what scree is no scree is volcanic rock that's broken into little teeny chips it's little teeny pebbles and so the last two thousand feet of vertical grain you're gain you're using trekking poles to go up because you had to navigate around scree that kept you know two steps forward one step back Mm -hmm. well going down the mountain it was it's actually incredibly dangerous Mm-hmm. because of this scree so we had to have checking trekking poles we had to have boots uh, some young uh, uh couple was trying to go down the mountain and she was the gal was climbing with tennis shoes and she was struggling I mean, it was dangerous she was falling she was bleeding oh, wow. and so this going down the mountain is dangerous uh, in mm-hmm. fact more men and women die every year on the descent of mount everest mm-hmm. than any than the ascent Uh, for several reasons. One is uh, pride. One is inexperience. But what happens is we tend to, especially as men, once we conquer that thing, we tend to lean back and relax. Mm -hmm. But the problem when you lean back and relax is you lose traction on the descent. You actually have to lean into the mountain to have traction. And what I have found, Chad, is that, that men give their lives to Christ. They're radically sold out for Jesus. They've hit that apex of manhood. They're like, yes, and then they go into the church. And if especially in the larger churches, in the larger churches, the larger churches say, hey, we've got a men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, youth ministry. We've got a great pastor who's bringing the word every Sunday. And what happens is men have a tendency to go, sweet. I'm just going to bring my family and mm-hmm. I'm going to de- defer leadership to the pastoral team. Mm-hmm. And what happens, that man leans back. He loses his leadership impact because he's deferred that out and really a man can delegate anything and everything except final responsibility you know I know that you've read Jocko Willing's book extreme ownership you know we have to take extreme ownership in the leadership of our families and so we really and men are really confused they're not confused the word leadership but as soon as you put the word spiritual in front of it they just start losing all bodily function (laughs) So, <laughs> and so, try to help these guys, and then you get a pastor up there in front of the church saying, "Who's a paid Christian?" Right? You and I are paid Christians. You right. know, we tell people what we do to lead spiritually, and and Joe Blow out there in the pews going, "I can't do that." Mm. I mean, I can't do that. I get up at work, I leave my house at six in the morning. I don't get home till six at night, and they get overwhelmed and mm-hmm. they start to shut down on us. Mm-hmm. And so, we have to really help our men to. And here's the hard part: is you you have to navigate downhill there are obstacles all over the place going downhill and if you don't navigate properly you're going to crash and burn and so we see a lot of christian men and families uh, and kids that don't follow jesus their parents do but they don't you know because i think a lot of that is because men our tendency is to lean back and relax once we've conquered the mountain yeah i think so
1: too and, and I kind of knew you were going to go that direction. You know, one of the interesting things about this too, is I mentioned that word zakar, that Hebrew word, yeah. meaning, you know, that, I, that I render out agency, apathy, and action or agency and action. Um, and there's one other a, but I can't remember. I'll about my head. Activity. Thank you. All of those things, those have to do with leading, with doing something, not waiting for something to happen, but leading. So I think, you know, once you hit the, the summit of manhood, as you talk about, and just, Pursuing God passionately, that gives us an opportunity to lead courageously because we're we're not overcome by fear, because we're not trying to people please. We can actually do the very thing that God wanted us to do all along. Before the fall of Genesis 3, that word zakar is supposed to be something that is defining to men. Mm. The the, the masculine strength that we have is, is supposed to be rendered out with actions that are courageous and that courageous leadership and leading courageously like you talk about here, Mm. but we have to fight against, right? We have to fight against that relaxing nature, that sit back, that coasting nature. I'll let my wife do it. I'll let my pastor do it. I'll let whoever do it. And while we just, you know, get off work and go sit in a chair and, you know, snap our fingers for our wife to come and bring us food. Good luck if you do that at my house,
0: by the way. Yeah, well, I'm the cook, so. Yeah, Yo,
1: there you go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you, you're going to go hungry and yep. uh, and probably have a lot of other things too. So you talk about in in that same section, you talk about leading courageously, you talk about three different fletchings and they yes. all begin with S. And the first one was strategy, the second one being sacrifice, and the third was service. So so why why are those there?
0: Well, because here's why. Uh, because a man, first of all, we need to have some kind of strategy. We need to, you know, I'm a hunter. So a big app right now is Onyx. Mm-hmm. You know, Onyx helps a man navigate. You know, if we need to be able to navigate through. And now, strategy is a, it comes from the word strategos. A strategos, have you heard of this phrase? Mm-hmm. This is an ancient Greece phrase. A strategos was a man who was assigned to helping win the war. Mm-hmm. And then he was the guy who helped, armies win the war and then he had underneath him his men to fulfill that tactical side of things so you have the strategos and then you have the tacticians the word we use for strategos today is general Hmm. general so a man is the strategos of his family he's looking at the big picture he's seeing how do we win the war Hmm. and then he uses uh he implements that strategy in a large part with his wife the Hmm. man is the strategos the man is the leader So he develops the strategy, the big picture, which he does naturally. And his wife comes alongside of him and helps with the tactical side, which she does naturally. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful partnership, but the man has to see that big picture. As far as sacrifice goes, it all starts with a man dying. Mm -hmm. We have to be willing to die to our needs, our wants, our wants, I mean, Uh, we have to be willing to die spiritually. But when our family you know, we have a world women in our world really push back on the word submission. But mm-hmm. if you really look at that word submission, again, it's a military term that it, it deals with delegation when a woman sees the word submission, she pushes back unless she sees a husband who's sacrificing daily for her needs and her mm-hmm. wants and her desires. When a woman sees a man sacrificing, she willingly, willingly, submits to his leadership which mm-hmm. is a you know sacrifice is an action which goes back to zakar submission is an attitude mm. so when when that happens you have a win win in a relationship and then again that sacrifice manifests itself in service if there's no sacrifice there's no service so the way a woman can tell if her husband is really willing to sacrifice himself is he's serving mm. my marriage changed in 1996 when I decided to out love and out serve my wife, and that was the sacrifice on my part on behalf of the marriage. Wow. Yeah that that death part,
1: you know, it's all easy except that, right? That <laughs> so, part that part hurts. Yeah, yeah, it does. And <laughs> I was actually reminded of of a, another book. Um, and The book's called Heroic. Bill Delvoe is the he's the author of that book. And he talks about the same thing he talks about and just the, the journey of a manhood for him to be heroic, very similar to, you know, uh, technical terms of what you just talked about and how you described. But that that death to self then sets us up for service and that sacrifice sets us up for service, which is really, you know, one of the most compelling things I think about uh, about every man's life, or at least it should be. Uh, yeah, that. I and agree. So, so step number five is finishing strong finishing strong talk yeah, about and it,
0: that and it really plays into this strategy sacrifice and service uh, idea you know this last chapter if there is any chapter or section that has it i have a chip on my shoulder it's this one mm-hmm. i i've just been um discouraged at how many men start well and finish wrong mm-hmm. and we we tend to in our society applaud strong starts
1: mm-hmm. and
0: ignore poor finishes. You know, it seems to be okay to quit in our society, to be transient in our society. Uh, We just seem okay with that in our immediate gratification society, but really Mm -hmm. a man finishes strong. And that goes all the way back to uh, December 21st, 2012, when my stepfather of 38 years committed suicide Mm -hmm. and nobody really knew why. And so he left the world with a question mark. And the guy who doesn't finish well leaves the world with a question mark where Paul you know, in Second Timothy four verses six and seven, finished strong. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's really interesting, Chad. I've got this weird, um, I've got this weird deal when it comes to Bible translations, and I will only use Bible translations where there is an exclamation mark at John nineteen thirty. John nineteen thirty is Jesus on the cross screaming from the cross. It is finished. Now, the Hebrew, the, in, the, in the Greek or the Hebrew, they did not have you know any kind of punctuation. So those who translate the Bible have to figure out what Jesus is saying and how he's saying it based on other passages and all this. And I believe firmly that he's, you know, the Bible says numerous times in the synoptics, he cried out from the cross. Mm-hmm. John never says he cried out from the cross. John just says it is finished with an exclamation mark. So I believe those two are the same event. And so this is interesting to me that I believe J- Jesus finished strong with a war cry and not a whimper. And mm. so because I believe Jesus finished strong, I want my life to finish strong. And so a lot of guys ask me, well, well, how do I do that? And so for me, what I've noticed, Chad, is guys that finish their lives strong, they do something that other guys don't do. They finish every day strong, compounded over time. Mm -hmm. And what I would tell guys, our men in the arena ministry focuses on men in the arena, men in the stress bubble, men who are raising families. Mm -hmm. And the the greatest temptation after work is to sit on the couch, eat your dinner, put down your remote, pick up your remote control and have your beer in the other hand type of thing. Mm -hmm. And what we're telling guys is, guys, listen, the people who will cry for you at your funeral, the people who will weep for you when you die are the people that are waiting for you to step up from six o'clock to nine o'clock during the week. You have to focus on those people, the people that your job may or may not come to your funeral. You probably won't work all your career in you know one setting where those people will come. Well, your, your go-to is your wife and kids. They will be the ones weeping at your funeral. And I have found that we will be remembered on our tombstone for what we've put our nose to on the grindstone. And mm. so man, I would just say work is important, guys and work hard. But man, when you get home from six to nine, 530 to 830, that's when it is go time for you. And you need to do that hard every day for the rest of your days.
1: That's a good word. That is a, a great word for us to end on. I don't need to add anything to that. Finish strong. That's the charge. Gentlemen, that is the charge finish strong. So Jim, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great.
0: Hey, thanks, Chad. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you, uh, like-minded guys, and I just pray blessings on uh, Men of Iron, man. You guys got a great thing going. Thanks, brother. This Men of Iron podcast is brought to you by Men of Iron. If you're interested in getting involved in or supporting the vision of changing a culture one man at a time, or you simply want to know more about our Strong 27 Mentorship Experience, Equilibrium Retreats, Anchorman Video Series, or Men of Iron Plus, go to menofiron.org.